0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Ben Standing's going to be on the show today from The Athletic. He's written a column, 11 questions. He will direct towards Ron Rivera or should be directed towards Ron Rivera when training camp begins. Ben Standing coming up in about 5 minutes to 10 minutes. Uh, And we'll talk uh, not only about his column, but about a lot of other things, including he wrote a column recently identifying the best free agent signing of the Dan Snyder era and the worst free agent signing of the Dan Snyder era. So a lot with Ben, coming up here shortly. Some breaking news after the radio show this morning. Um, In the world of golf, Denny McCarthy, who uh, I had on the radio show a couple of weeks ago, Um, he's an up-and-comer on the PGA Tour. Uh, I know his uncle very well. I know his father. Denny's a great guy, Georgetown prep guy, UVA guy. Uh, Denny's really made strides on Uh, the PGA Tour, he tested positive for coronavirus and he had to withdraw from the uh, travelers uh, in Connecticut. Um, As far as his health, there's nothing here on the story um, about it, but Denny's a young, healthy guy, so uh, we wish him the best. He's really uh, a great guy, but now we've had, you know, several players withdraw from this tournament, some like Brooks Koepka uh, and, um, uh, Graham McDowell uh, and, and Webb Simpson who weren't necessarily positive tests um, for the virus but they had come in contact uh, with guys that had tested positive in the case of Kepka and McDowell their caddies both tested uh, positive I think with Webb Simpson it was a member of his family who had tested positive but we wish Denny McCarthy the best local Um, Really good young player and uh, we had a lot of fun with him on a a long radio interview a few weeks back um, before the tour had started uh, back up. Um, Also some news from this morning uh, after the radio show. Uh, NBA players are getting tested you know as they prepare for this restart uh, to the season, um, which will be very interesting to see if they can get this done, but sixteen of three hundred and two NBA players tested positive for coronavirus. This is the first wave, they're calling it, of mandatory testing done in preparation for the start of the season. Um, So out of 302 players, that's a 5.3% hit rate of positive tests league-wide. Any player who tests positive will remain uh, in self-isolation until they're able to test negative. uh, After a period of time. Um, the players' names weren't disclosed. We know that some players, like Malcolm Brogdon uh, and Jabari Parker and Alex Len, have already publicly acknowledged that they recently tested positive. The, the season's scheduled to, to resume a month from now, or July 30th. So, a month in, in five days, a month and four days from now, uh, with 22 teams. Uh, converging on Orlando. Uh, Orlando Mandatory workouts are July 1st, and then teams can start to arrive in Florida in preparation for the ending of the regular season and then, and then the postseason on July 7th. So we'll see how that plays out. This is what we've been seeing a lot of in recent days. We've seen a lot of athletes testing positive from golf, to pro football, Zeke Elliott, to college football, the 23 players at Clemson, to the NBA players, many NBA players opting out. And before we get to Ben Standing, I wanted to start with this story, and it's the Malcolm Jenkins story and interview from CNN yesterday. Malcolm Jenkins, very outspoken. Remember in the Drew B- Brees situation, he's a 12-year veteran. He's a member of the NFL Players Association. He, of course, was had a... Had really good years in Philadelphia in particular. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins spoke out yesterday about coronavirus. And let's keep in mind that this came a day after Zeke Elliott, who had tested positive and was getting better. He was getting much better. Um, but Zeke Elliott said, you know, he's very concerned about uh, football uh, starting back up. Um, with families at home and kids at home. It wasn't even about him as he was on the mend, Um, but he questioned whether or not it could be done in a healthy way. And Malcolm Jenkins essentially said the same thing um, yesterday to CNN. I'm going to read you a few of the quotes. Jenkins said that football is essentially a non-essential business. Here's the quote, and I'll read all of them, but this is really the money quote. I think until we get to the point where we have protocols in place, and until we get to a place as a country where we feel safe doing it, we have to understand that football is a non-essential business. And so we don't need to do it. And so the risk has to be really eliminated before we, before I, would feel comfortable Going back, that was Malcolm Jenkins, a 12 year veteran player, a big voice in the NFL. He continued, he said, in discussing what the NBA is doing with a hub city, he said, the NBA is a lot different than the NFL because they can actually quarantine all of their players uh, or whoever is going to participate. We have over 2,000 players, even more coaches and staff. We can't do that. So we'll end up being kind of on this trust system, the honor system, where we just have to hope that guys are social distancing and things like that. And that puts all of us at risk, not only us as players and who's in the building, but when you go home to your families. You know, I have parents that I don't want to see get sick, closed quote. That's Malcolm Jenkins, a day after Zeke Elliott had similar thoughts. Tommy's been on the, this thought from players. Now, I think the, uh, the environment here um, has changed a little bit here over the last week with COVID-19 infections on the rise again. Uh, I think also as these players get closer to the beginning of the season, um, they get a little bit more angst uh, ridden over this you know, a month ago, it was easy for players, especially if infections were starting to, to die down. It was easy for players to say, we got to get back to to, to work. We got to play football. Country needs us. And now with all of the infections and at Clemson and Texas and Alabama and all of these different sports, uh, the feelings a little bit different. And the issue is going to be how many players feel this way. We did a segment this morning on the radio show. Um, It was a segment that basically asked a two-part question. Do you think the NFL will start on time? And do you think the NFL will complete its 2020 season? I said, based on today, right now, I don't think it'll start on time. And I don't think there will be a full 16-game regular season. This will change, I would predict, because it seems as if the guidance And all of the data and all of the expertise changes all the time. And we understand that at this point after four and a half months um, of of all of this. We we understand that nobody's really got it figured out. They really don't know. They're trying their best. I was listening to something uh, between the radio show and the podcast today about how much progress is being made on the vaccine That there are two or three that are very much in play for some time maybe as early as the fall or the end of the year. And that production is moving forward on those vaccines. Rather than waiting to see if the vaccine works and then starting to produce it, they really can't do that. They've got to produce it even uh, without clear evidence that it works. I think the NFL and all of these leagues right now, it is up in the air. The good news is, young people still, for the most part, aren't getting terribly sick. But one real sick person could be the Ru- Rudy Gobert of the next attempt at sports. Rudy Gobert tested positive, it shut down sports. That's not going to happen again. We know that. But the first person that gets seriously ill and is on a ventilator, God forbid, and we hope it doesn't happen. Player, not coach. Let me m- m- be clear on that. I think if it's an older player or coach, it wouldn't shut down the league or even sports. But I think if one player in any of this, any of these sports, young, healthy, no underlying diseased player, gets seriously ill or worse, that would be the Rudy Gobert equivalent uh, here in round two of trying to make sports work. Hopefully it won't happen. The odds are it won't, Uh, but it is interesting to see the players getting um, very uh, angst-ridden over a potential return with all of these positive tests. All right, let's get to Ben Standing, but before we do, quick word about Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine. Whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise or meditation. But not everybody has got the time to do it all. With Hydrant you can jump start your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't Need to be that way. Hydrants got electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water. They're flavored, they taste great, and they work. They give you the four essential electrolytes your body needs to stay hydrated sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. It hydrates you quickly, you stay hydrated for a longer period period of time. There's no synthetic coloring, there's no artificial sweeteners, the formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. 25% 25% off your first order right now if you go to drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan, S-H-E-E-H-A-N. That's drinkhydrant, hydran com slash Sheehan for 25% off your first order. All right, let's welcome in Ben Standing from The Athletic. Uh, you can get The Athletic right now, 30 days for free. I encourage you to do it if you haven't done it yet. Um, it's the perfect time to read all of Ben's stuff. He is prolific um, on The Athletic in terms of writing about the Redskins. He's got another column that came out this morning, um, which is why we have, uh, we're having Ben on, but we don't need a reason to bring him on. Uh, we'll get to his column where he's got 11 questions for Ron Rivera ahead of training camp but follow ben on twitter at ben standing but uh in all seriousness i'm a subscriber to the athletic and have been for a while it is great for local sports really good local sports writers and ben does such a phenomenal job on the redskins as you all know before we get to your column um du jour What did you make of the Del Rio Twitter thing from the other night, um, where he clearly stated, uh, for anybody that had any doubts going in, that he is a Trump supporter. Um, He retweeted a fake AOC tweet. Uh, There was just a lot going on there. What did you make of that, and what do you think the Redskins thought of it, like Dan Snyder and Ron Rivera?
1: Yeah, uh, as always, thanks for having me and being my PR uh, rep. I appreciate that. Um. Well, I mean, look, I mean, you know, and we'll get to the bulk of the column, but but it, this is woven in, in there because I think, you know, we can, you know, people I know, you know, just stick to sports and that whole thing, but realistically, that's not the world we're living in anymore. No. Uh, this week, multiple times this week look, we're all going through a lot, you know, being, living in our homes in this pandemic and, and, you know, there's fear as the spikes are going up in different parts of the country and how are we going to deal with this? And, you know, for our purposes specifically, what is this going to mean for sports? I know the numbers are down a little bit in this area, but the NFL, you know, for, for what we care about in terms of our professions, the spikes are happening in the NFL state. So what does this mean? And my point is that we're all, <clears throat> we're all on edge these days. And, um, you know, I, I think there's going to be some questions that Rivera we're going to have to ask Rivera, and among them, I think for me is how are you going to handle? You, you're trying to change this culture. You're trying to build a new team. You are new to this group. So will all your coaches, except for your special teams coach and your running backs coach, how are you going to get the, the players, this largely black locker room of young men, to buy in to what people are saying when a, when the defensive coordinator is making comments? that go directly, seemingly against, or he's at least backing a side that goes against what a lot of these players are standing for. Dwayne Haskins went to the protest to to join one of the protests in D.C. following George Floyd's murder, which is about many things, but including police brutality and racial inequality. Adrian Peterson has talked that he's going to kneel, uh, which is obviously what Colin Kaepernick has you know, has, you know, did in the past and that's become a top, it become a way to show support for those um, a- areas as well. And obviously I'm sure there's other players who feel the same way, whether they pu- said publicly or not. And it doesn't matter whether you agree with or against what Del Rio said. And I'm not talking about Del Rio's right to speak up. That is part of, we all have that right to speak up, but when you're doing it in a way where you need these people to buy into what you are selling effectively, to be a cohesive unit, to try To build, you know, if you're trying to focus on football, does that become more complicated when the politics are aired publicly? I I, I don't see how it can't be. Now, it's interesting that we haven't heard any, at least as far as I know, none of the players at this moment have spoken up publicly about this, the way they say the Oklahoma State kid did when Mike Dundee was uh, shown wearing an OAN shirt, a network that um, promotes messages that, again, seemingly go against, or not seemingly, that go against these – you know, the the, the the current movement out there, it, that, that player made a point of speaking up, and we'll see what happens with him and Gundy. They they had a conversation, and we'll see what happens down the line on that, on that and other fronts. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's – I can't comprehend that Ron Rivera would have been happy with what Del Rio had to – what Del Rio did. Again, you can think what you think, but if you do it publicly, you take – you know, I think mean, I know. I'm rambling here. I, I, people misunderstand. I think you have the right to say what you want, but that doesn't give. But you have, there's also the right to others to react to it, and that's going to be interesting to see what happens here. And I do think it's something that Rivera will have to address. Maybe he blows it off if we ask, but I can't comprehend how he doesn't address it internally.
0: Yeah, uh, freedom of speech does not mean freedom of consequence, and um, that's the conversation that Tommy and I had yesterday. I had it on radio. A few days ago, the night, uh, the morning after, um, he went uh, uh, pretty active on Twitter. Um, and I'm very surprised actually at this point it's Friday um, that those tweets went out Tuesday night I'm very surprised we haven't had any reaction from not even one player not one coach um, I believe that George Carl of all people I saw there was a reaction to del Rio's tweets from George Carl um, a rather critical um, response uh, on social media but other than that you know there have been stories written about it in you know, uh, the About uh, Jack Del Rio um, doing what he did the other night, but nothing at this point from players or team. I'm really surprised about that. I don't know what I was expecting necessarily, but I, I wasn't expecting complete silence on the matter. Um, unless somehow it was handled as an organization um, and we haven't heard about it yet, Um, which I guess is possible, but man, that would be incredible for that organization to have gotten everybody together and come to some... Um, you know, uh, Del Rio spoke in his mind and everybody being fine with it and silent about it. I'm very surprised. You mentioned Mike Gundy. We, you know, we we we, we immediately got a, a response from their best player, which created a major national story at the college level. He was just wearing a T-shirt. Now, we know what the T-shirt more likely Um, was making a statement about, uh, he acted naive to it, but Jack Del Rio didn't pull any punches on Twitter the other night. Um, Not to mention, he looked like a bit of a dope retweeting a fake tweet for the second time in two months. And nothing. I, I... I, 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 when you brought that up moments ago, I we we talked about this in a follow up yesterday that nothing happened, and I basically completely forgot on radio this morning to bring it up again to say still no reaction, but there hasn't been. I'm really surprised. It sounds like you are too. Yeah,
1: I mean to your point, I don't quite know what to expect but uh yeah it, it's a little surprising i mean it was as you said uh, people you know various national websites did aggregate uh the story you know our friend dan steinberg with the washington post you know made it uh you know he took he, he uh took the screenshots of del rio's tweets and and likes and and, and put up on twitter that night which because of dan's reach locally and nationally you know that 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 generated some more attention i'm sure and yeah I mean it hasn't been. I don't know if that's you know, again, maybe they did something internally, maybe the players have had a conversation and said nobody reacts um you know, I don't know maybe maybe they just I don't know, maybe it didn't bother them to a degree. I mean, I'm sure it bothered them, but socially, but maybe in terms of feeling compelled to you know state their opinion out loud that they didn't feel that was necessary, so yeah, I don't know what necessarily I was expecting, but uh it is a little surprising that we haven't heard anything and um, you know, again, I think the fact that it is, you know, it's, it's almost hard to remember the, the the NFL calendar under these circumstances with everything so crazy. But you know, right now would be the the, the dead period for Washington, every, for all the NFL teams. All the you know, we would be done with OTAs and mini camps. These guys would be vacationing somewhere with their family, or who knows what. And maybe they really you know, they're still of that mindset and therefore they're kind of away from it, but look social media goes everywhere. So yeah, it's a little surprising for sure that we haven't heard anything, but you know, we'll uh we'll we'll see what happens. And like I said, I can't comprehend the topic is going away.
0: The only thing that's happened is he's gone silent on Twitter for two days. That's basically it. And I you know, there are plenty of of. Other periods uh, for him going silent for multiple days on Twitter, even though he's very active for a coach anyway um, on Twitter. Well, you know.
1: By, by the way, uh, sorry to interrupt, but like, you know, this is also not a group that is. And look, there's so many different social media platforms. I can't keep track. I basically focus on Twitter and a little bit with Instagram. But I don't like, maybe I'm wrong, but in terms of the amount of the players that we're looking at on this roster, I don't think they're the most. Socially media active politically group there is relative to some others. I mean Chase Young was part of that video uh, with the other NFL players a few weeks ago that got all the attention. But I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much he's tweeting about this or other guys. So you know, it just may not be their nature, which is you know absolutely fine as well. But uh, it, you know, I mean, this isn't. There's other players, other teams that are far more active on social media on these fronts than I feel like these guys are.
0: It's probably true. I also think, you know, when you think about the defensive side of the ball, you've got, you know, uh, some veterans there in addition to obviously the rookie that they picked in the first round. But guys like Thomas Davis and Ryan Kerrigan, and at this point, you know, even though he isn't truly a a veteran, um, but John Allen certainly – uh, with his maturity, behaves like one, um, and Sean Davis is a longtime player, you know, in the league now. So, you know, Ronald Darby, you know, maybe it's just look. Let's deal with it when we all get together at training camp. Let's not make a big deal out of it. Now, you know, there, there's one other part, and I and I failed to mention this with Tommy on the podcast yesterday. You know, the Redskins are one of those um, sports teams uh, that generate a lot of corporate, uh, you know. Uh, relationship money through defense contractors in the past, um, military-related organizations being here in D.C. Um, And there's always been a tightrope that they've had to walk on some of these issues. You know, Dan Snyder has been a contributor to Republican campaigns, including the Trump campaign, um, and I am sure that he is very likely a Republican. I mean, I think you could draw that conclusion um, uh, pretty easily. I don't know if that means that he's, uh, you know, a Trump supporter now, um, like he was in 2016. Um, but what he is is reliant on more conservative-related. Areas of industry f- for a revenue stream, for an advertising revenue stream. And so that puts the Redskins in a bit of a different predicament than some teams. It's almost the equivalent of, you know, during the kneeling. Uh, Kaepernick situation back in 2017. You know, a lot of people said, "Look, this isn't a big deal in the big cities, but it's going to be a big deal in Kansas City, and it's going to be a big deal in Green Bay, and it's going to, you know, in, in anywhere in Texas." Well, it, it was a it's a big deal here, and it was a big deal here. Um, in, not, in addition to you know many fans who work. Um, you know, in government, work at the Pentagon, work, you know, for defense-related contractors, um, et cetera, it it, w- it may have been a, a big issue. I can't tell you what percentage, but I can tell you that a, a bigger revenue stream, which would have been some of those corporate dollars and um, sponsorships, um, they've got to be careful, especially now for them, where they've lost so much revenue in recent years uh, because of the performance of the product. So that's just something else to keep in mind. You know, I, I, Tommy and I didn't talk about it yesterday, but I always remember that after the fact that that is a factor with this organization always has been.
1: Yeah, for, for, for sure. And, and look, I mean, there's, you know, all these topics are incredibly, all these topics are, are, are nuanced and complicated on various fronts. If we weren't dealing with a global pandemic, if we weren't dealing with an economic downturn because you know in large part because of the the pandemic the fear that comes with this with with coronavirus and um, you know the, the the fear of getting sick or worse so there's so much going on and you know there, there's it, it, it it's really i think it's, everybody is so on edge these days and i think that's one reason why regardless of what these topics are we're getting so many people wanting to immediately react one way or the other and you know look you know, i mean Context is always key, and, and it's difficult sometimes, even when you're retweeting these things, to you know, to, or even if you're tweeting about stuff, <laughs> to, to make a a, a, ma- a major point about these important topics and do so um, in uh, you know 100 or 280 characters or whatever yeah, the whatever very, limit very is. And, yeah. and, and, and so context is always key. You know, I don't know Jack Del Rio other than press conferences. Maybe these players know him better and know whatever he was saying does it reflect the guys that they've met or known. I, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it, these these topics are so complicated that it, it it is it is why social it's among the many reasons why social media is hardly the ideal platform to discuss because it you know how do you get out a message in, in you know and not to mention tone is always incredibly challenging on these fronts. Uh, no you doubt. know when you're typing things out and all that.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, netting it out too on Del Rio. I I yeah, I mean. I don't know what I expected, um, and I I would not predict how it plays out, but I think in play is the opposite of something that causes some level of angst or disruption, and that is they got a bunch of players like John Allen and Jeron Payne and Ryan Kerrigan and Thomas Davis and Landon Collins and Sean Davis that uh, don't care about their coach's politics. And when they get together, it's going to be all about football. There's always that possibility as well. I just think, for you sure. know, again, in this climate, the fact that it's now been two and a half days, it's odd that nothing um, has come out from at least just one player um, that he either uh, is about to coach or maybe even used to play for him. All right. Um, before we get to your column, Malcolm uh, Jenkins in New Orleans uh, had some pretty strong comments on CNN yesterday about uh, the return to football, and I, I opened the show with this topic, and I want your thoughts as well. Um, if you if you missed it, Ben, he told CNN we have over. T- uh, he said until we get to the point where we have protocols in place, and until we get to a place as a country where we feel safe doing it. We have to understand that football is a non-essential business, and so we don't need to do it. And so the risk has to be really eliminated before we, before I would feel comfortable with going back. Um, asked about the, you know, the NBA versus the NFL, the NBA's Hub City. He said he pointed out that, quote, the NBA is a lot different than the NFL because they can actually quarantine all of their players or whoever is going to participate. We have over 2,000 players, even more coaches and staff. We can't do that. So we'll end up being kind of on the trust system, the honor system, where we just have to hope that guys are social distancing and things like that, and that puts us all at risk, not only us as players and who's in the building, but when you go home to your families, He said, you know, I have parents. I don't want to get them sick, closed quote. This comes a day after Zeke Elliott spoke out about his concerns and family concerns after he did test positive and he's getting better and also the first real step that we've seen with the NFL being forced to cancel something other than OTAs and minicamp, and that was the cancellation of the Hall of Fame game, uh, the Steelers and Cowboys on August 6th, even though as of now, the plan is to open up training camps on time. What do you make of now back-to-back days of players expressing real concern about a return To football. What's your guess right now on whether or not the NFL will start on time? And then the second part of that is do you think the NFL will play a complete 2020 season?
1: Well, I mean, if these guys are watching the news like the rest of us, I don't know how they could have any reaction other than concern and some pessimism over this idea. I mean, you know, I mean, just this morning it was announced in the state of Florida. That over 8,000 people, I think, tested positive for COVID-19 in the last 24 hours, which was by far a, a, a record. And obviously, I understand testing does not automatically mean getting sick or, or dying, but obviously, there's, you know, the, the, it's, it's concerning. And because the numbers are spiking so rapidly, it's not just a matter of, well, one day we'll all get it. It's a matter of, if it's happening so rapidly, then the hospitals get overwhelmed. People who, who do need care may not be able to get it. And uh, you know tragedy <clears throat> ensues. So obviously there's a there's a big concern. I mean I've been I'm working on a a project um, that I'll unveil in a few weeks uh, for the athletic and in, in in conversations that I'm having with people for it. You know uh, the topic of what do you think about this reopening? You know uh, comes up and some people are bullish, think you know th- th- that, that that it's not a big deal. Others believe that hey look whatever, whatever you think of the NFL they're going to try to do the right thing, teams as well, and therefore. You know, you can't be too worried about it. But there are other people who, you know, point to, hey, look, I mean, this disease is particularly affecting um, black men and women, people who have underlying conditions. Um, A lot of NFL players who are, you know, big guys, obesity to some degree factors into some of these things. You know, there may be conditions from that. And there is some concern about what what this means. I mean, of course, the reality, the base reality is, you know, there's, you know, an insane amount of money at play. And this is the overriding factor. If it was just about safety, then obviously they wouldn't bother playing it at all, uh, any of these sports. But th- that's not th- that's not the case. And yes, it's not a um, uh, what's the term? The uh, not an essential. It's not an essential business. But it's you know, it, it can't, it's hard to just imagine just wipe it away and say you know, well we can you know, we'll, we'll just let all the money ride and, and move on. Obviously, the owners aren't going to be that way. So I, I think. You know, I I don't know if it's going to start on time. It is hard to figure out how you're going to play 16 games because there'll be spikes in different parts of the country, or or some teams will have, you know, even if it's just one team that has not just one case, not just two cases, but many cases that go through a locker room the way the the common uh, the, the the way a cold or a flu does. I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying this is how viruses occur. You often hear a team will have you know several players dealing with the flu because they're around each other, and this thing. likely will spread in those terms. I've had people tell me they're more concerned about players in the locker room than they are about players on the field um, because of the, you know, the close quarters, indoors, things like that. So I'm definitely, definitely concerned. I have been saying for months, until there's a vaccine, I just find it hard to figure out how everybody can move forward with all these things and feel good about it, unless you're just completely burying your head in the sand. It feels like pe- fewer people are doing that today than they were yesterday. I don't know what that means for tomorrow, though. If I'm just being honest.
0: Yeah, uh, really, the whole thing's hard to predict. Um, all right, uh, I want to get to your column, but real quickly on a column that you wrote last week, I think it was. You and and I would urge again everybody to go read this. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, spoil all the the terrific thoughts on this subject uh, that are in there. You got to go read it for yourself. But Ben did a thing where he asked. Um, a bunch of local people about the best Redskins free agent signing um, and the worst free agent Redskins signing. Um, I was uh, asked to be a participant on this, and I completely dropped the ball. I've already apologized <laughs> to Ben. It was very much unlike me. But it was over a You're, weekend, you, and somehow I got sidetracked. But anyway. You, you um, rat-guardered the situation? <laughs> I, did, I did. It was right there, too. I mean, it was a perfectly thrown ball. Um the best free agent signing in Redskins history for you is who?
1: Well, so so this was technically we did it in the Dan Snyder era, just to sort of limit it a little bit. So yeah. from that perspective, it was London Fletcher. I mean, if we went all time, my boy, I, I don't even know. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know, John Reagan, Joe Theismann, something like that. But in, in terms of the in terms of the Snyder era, I mean, L- London Fletcher was a pretty. Easy call. Pierre Garcon got some love. Those are the two guys I think were pretty clear. But I mean, London Fletcher. You know, I forget the exact number, but you know, however many games he played over his time in D.C., he started every game, played every game. Uh, You know, he's the type of guy when when Rivera is talking now about uh, you know setting, changing the culture. Like that's the type of guy that he's talking about. It was just back then you only kind of had one of those guys, and you did, and you had so much chaos around it that, that those positive traits. Of a guy doing the right things, seemingly on and off the field, just couldn't completely take root because there was just so much else going on.
0: Uh, that's that's a no-brainer. London Fletcher's the greatest free agent signing in franchise history. Certainly during the Dan Snyder era, um, no one was more productive. Uh, and you know, I, I saw the list, and I'm not going to give it to everybody, but they've got basically a top five with honorable mention. I think one of the more underrated free agent signings. Um, during the Dan Snyder era, and you have this in your top five, so I'll just mention him, and he would have been somebody that would have come to mind for me immediately, was Cornelius Griffin. Uh, Griffin was really a good player here, an excellent player here when they signed him uh, from the Giants, and he was their best interior defensive lineman on really the last few teams the Redskins had. You literally have to go back to some of those teams, 2005, uh, 6, 7, certainly 7 in particular, to find a good defensive football team. It's been a horrific defensive program here for years, but Griffin was really crucial to the 2007 run that they had um, and and the better defense that they played uh, during the the Snyder era. So you had him in here at number 5. There were three players in between. I'm going to force everybody to go read it. Um, The worst first free agent signing in franchise history this had to be a, a complete consensus um, unanimous vote Albert Hainsworth.
1: you know what it was not and because of uh, because of me in fact, I'll give you my case hear me out I, I actually put Hainsworth third but here 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 hear me out obviously you could argue <laughs> he's the worst free agent signing of all time in NFL history when you factor in the hype the numbers, laying down on the field, complete, utter, an abject failure in every way, shape, or form. However, I didn't put him first because of my own sort of personal reasons, and that was the person I put first was Jeff George. You know
0: what? That's... I was just going to guess, did you pick Jeff George? Because he would have been my number two. But let me just mention before you go through it, he would have been in contention. It w- I-, I figured that everybody would say Albert Hainsworth, and that's why he was number one, and I just assumed it was unanimous. But Jeff George was poisonous and really cost the Redskins uh, the 2000 season um, and potentially uh, the 2001 start to the season. But go ahead.
1: Yeah, and, and, and so for me, the, the, that was, it was a symbolic my, – my, my top two picks for the, on the defense were – or sorry, on the defense, on the, uh, on the worst free agents uh, were symbolic for me of how i view this franchise for the last 20 years because Jeff George was the really first sign we had of how things were going to ultimately go. You had this highly competent quarterback in Brad Johnson who, already, who just took your team to the playoff he was already going to, he would later take another team to win the Super Bowl. He was very good. He was, you know, significantly better than the quarterbacks they'd had for years, but he was also incredibly boring. He wasn't marketable. Jeff George, that dude was marketable. You have the, the I mean, the, 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 the arm, the gunslinger. He had, he had had success with Minnesota, but the negatives were pretty extreme as well, some of which he just mentioned. And yet, Dan Snyder. P- 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 Brought him in, gave him, I think he actually, even though the contracts are funny money, as we know, I think he was actually getting more money to be the quote-unquote backup than Brad Johnson got as the starter. And that didn't last long. They trade Brad Johnson out. Jeff George is the starter until Marty Schottenheimer not just benches him. He gets rid of them altogether. I think less than one month into this season. But the idea that you would even consider it was such the ultimate unforced error that you would even consider bringing him in, uh, showed what I think Snyder's mentality was, what 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 how this organization was thinking. And honestly, that was the thinking basically up until the point that McLuhan showed up. And at least from that point on, not necessarily saying because of McLuhan, but probably that thing started to go down the path of all right, we're going to build through the draft, we'll make the occasional free agent splash, but we're going to do it something else smart, not not Completely, um, you know, sabotage ourselves with the way that one did. The, the second one for me on that list. So, so my unholy trinity of the worst of the movie that really set things off. And when I was still a fan, that kind of told me you better check out here emotionally because things are going to go long. First was Jeff George. Second was firing Schottenheimer after one year when they improved so much through it. And third was signing Adam Archuleta to make him the highest-paid safety in the league, I mean, it just was another move, like, what? Why Why are you effectively bidding against yourself? And it almost just felt like, again, another symbol of what was going to happen. Other teams wanted him. Artileta seemingly wanted to go somewhere else. And the organization decided, you know what? We're going to make it impossible for you to believe that you could go anywhere else. We're going to pay you so much money that would be incomprehensible. And then it completely bombed To boot, so to me, so that's why I put Arsenal at a second because, for me personally, those three moves said to me, oh no, this whole thing is off the rails, and I don't see how this is going to go get fixed. And obviously, that's kind of how things have gone for most of the last 20 years.
0: Yeah, you know the Archuleta came during what could be, um, you know, labeled as the worst off season of the Dan Snyder era, the 2006 off season. It was an utter uh, shit show of terrible move after terrible move, desperation moves, let uh, late in preseason, um, TJ Ducket trade, et, et cetera. But the the Jeff George thing um, is, I thought. Everybody would pick Hainsworth, and I think I would too, but I think the Jeff George signing in some ways was more damaging. And the way you put it actually is really perfect, and it is the first indication that we've got an owner that's way too involved. Uh, We've got an owner that knows nothing about football yet, is is about to get super involved now we didn 't know where it would lead that he 'd be a serial uh, interferer for those first ten years with any football person that he had in the organization, with the exception of the one that he couldn 't interfere with contractually, which was marty um but you, you had you know um the story is that Snyder after he got ownership of the team. Uh, tried to undo the Jeff George deal in 1999 per, uh, prior to the season. The Redskins gave up multiple picks to the Vikings, including a first rounder. Um be for to, Brad Johnson. Yeah. For, yeah, for Brad Johnson. Did I say Jeff George? My fault. Yeah. yeah, for for Brad Johnson in 1999. And Snyder tried to undo the Brad Johnson trade um, after he became owner, but couldn't do it. Um, it, w- it was too late. It was done. Casserly uh, and company and in, in the group before on their way out uh, – made that deal in 99 and it turned out to be a phenomenal uh, deal. I mean, Brad Johnson, his first year here, uh, he wasn't good. He was great. He had one of the great seasons in the history of the franchise that year. Threw for over four thousand yards, um, and the Redskins went ten and six with, by the way, a bad defense. Um, they were prolific at times offensively in nineteen nine with Brad Johnson. They put up forty plus points, I think, three times that year. They had a fifty uh, burger uh, that they hung on um, that they hung on uh, the Jets, I think, early in the season, or the Giants. It was one of the other. Uh, early in that season um, it was uh, it was a really good team and and they were very close to advancing to the NFC championship game. Brad Johnson was hurt in that playoff game against the buccaneers um, he had a He had a sore shoulder i 've had him on the show several times over the years, and the Redskins blew a a thirteen a ten nothing lead and lost to the Buccaneers um, when they never got a field goal attempt off late to try to win it. That would have put him in the NFC championship game against the Rams, the greatest show on turf. And I don't know if they would have gone to St. Louis and won, but you know, r- realistically, that is the closest uh, uh, during the Dan Snyder era, year one they have been to the NFC Championship game. Um, easily the closest, unless you want to take the, the Seattle game where they, you know, Carlos Rogers had a pick six in his hands for a 10 nothing lead early, but it was really that first year. And for him to go out and be infatuated the way he was with Jeff George, here's a part of the story that I think some people have heard. You know who really was infatuated with Jeff George? I mean, loved him was Sonny Jurgensen. And Sonny was an advisor to Snyder. Sonny loved watching Jeff George throw the football. Who didn't? I mean, Jeff George has one of the greatest arms in the history of the game. And his season, correct me if I'm wrong, he had come from Minnesota like Brad Johnson had the year before, where he had uh, replaced Randall Cunningham at one point and won a bunch of games the year before. So it should have been almost a red flag that Minnesota didn't want him back. And here he comes into that season in 2000. And, you know, right from the jump, North Turner's being, you know, pushed in his back and and notes are being left for him to get Jeff George in the game. You know, we've seen enough of Brad. Uh, let's get Jeff George in the game. And the Redskins, unfortunately, with Brad Johnson, had a rough start. They lost – I remember they lost a game at Detroit, um, a game that they were favored to win in. They lost a Monday nighter to the Cowboys at home. Um, and all of a sudden the door opened for uh, for Jeff George to get in and and that really in many ways sabotaged the season uh, George did have one great start that year and it was a Monday night game in st. Louis against the Rams um, where he had a big game and they, they they won the game like 35 to 20 and that kept him in the uh, very much in the playoff picture they were very much in the playoff picture until the end um, when uh, uh, when they lost uh, that really close game to the Giants, um, Eddie Murray was asked to kick a field goal that he told Norv he couldn't kick before he went into the game. That's that's one of my favorite all-time stories is is Eddie Murray's asked to go out and kick a 48-yarder to beat the Giants down 9-7, to and he tells Norv, I can't kick it that far, not in this direction. Norv says, get out there and kick it anyway, and sure enough, it was short. It was short. It was over. And Norv's uh season ended uh and career in Washington ended as well. But that that is a good one. Brad Johnson really was a destructive um force here. Marty didn't wait long, did he? It was week two. It was after nine eleven. Um I, if my memory serves me correctly, he started a game uh in two thousand uh in that two thousand season. Uh, in the 2001 season, started a game at Green Bay in Week Two following 9/11. They got completely blown out, and Marty cut him. You know, he started the the season against San Diego, and then I think that Week Two game against Green Bay after the one week um, uh, suspended play after 9/11. George went into to Lambeau, and they got beat like 39 to 38, nothing, something like that. And uh, and George, they they cut him the next day, and there's no other coach that could have done that. But Marty got control. Marty got total control, and told Vinny and Dan to go go to hell. Essentially, that Jeff George can't be our quarterback, and we can't win with someone like this in our locker room. Fascinating uh, first, times.
1: First, first of all, God bless your memory. I literally don't remember what I did yesterday, let alone I, who started what game. I can't uh, remember. I can't.
0: Good. I can't remember what happened yesterday either. <laughs> but for whatever reason I can remember what happened twenty years ago.
1: And, and and by but by the way, just to sort of connect this to where we are now, like when the, when, when Rivera was talking about in early in the offseason about wanting to bring in quarterback, there was going to be real competition, and we're all thinking, okay, well, is he talking about Cam Newton, a guy he he, he knows, or are we talking about drafting drafting to a tongue of Viola, and in each case you know my whole thought was look if you do this you have to get rid of haskins you can't just pretend that like you're gonna have cam newton here but dwayne haskins has a real shot to get this job he's good. cam newton would be a massive distraction um... and that's why kyle allen on some level is like sort of the perfect option because of the fact that like he's somebody very familiar with with the offensive system Rivera bring bringing over but but hardly a distraction because of his you know an undrafted free agent and you know he doesn't have Dwayne Haskins as gifts and things like that. Um, that, that, like that's that, that's like sort of where we are. Why do you want to say some hope for the current re- regime is that when given the opportunity to do the obvious thing and just bring in the guy who helps him go to the Super Bowl? We're, you know, we, we don't quite know if Cam Newton's healthy and things like that, but like he didn't do that. He said, I, we're, I, "I'm assuming effectively," he said. We're going to give this kid a chance. We want Dwayne Haskins. This organization invested a first-round pick in Haskins. There is still some upside. He played better, uh, you know, the last two starts of the season were his best two starts of his rookie year. Bringing Cam Newton completely is a whole other story, and it would be it would lead to all kinds of distractions. And Haskins would have to have just an incredible amount of mental focus to not get rattled by that guy's presence. And I'm sure the other, the other guys on the team would think that, you know, similar things. So I think that's almost sort of on some level, the difference, maybe, <laughs> maybe if we want to get, look positive and think that Snyder's getting some religion over time is that here is almost the exact same chance to do. I mean, granted he's the one that picked Haskins, but regardless, Cam Newton's a bigger deal. You can sell Cam Newton uh, easily. Uh, that, that they didn't do that. So, if you want to be optimistic about where things are now, I would maybe point to that as a corollary to the what they didn't do 20 years ago with Brad Johnson and Jeff George.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably true because you—it's you, probably been that way for a few years now. Um, uh, you got to go back to McNabb, and then the you know the real excitement over RG3 and um, in, in trading up to draft a star. But your point is such a good one about about 2000, um, and that is, you know, it was Snyder who basically told the football people, ha, ha, we can get Jeff George. Have you seen Jeff George? He's a star. Sonny likes him too. Sonny, Sonny says he can really throw it. And, and that, you know, belt buckle kid um, getting involved in football <laughs> decisions – um, that was really the first indication because you know the truth is about that that incredible you know free agency uh, period in in two thousand when it was Jeff George and Deion Sanders and and uh, and Bruce Smith and Mark Carrier and the whole group that came in it was like the biggest splash in NFL history for free agency and you know people that say to you as Redskins fans I knew it I knew it wouldn't work I think they're being disingenuous because. I'm as big a Redskin fan as anybody, and I remember being really excited about free agency in 2000 in the moment. Like, wow, you know, we were a point away from being in the NFC Championship game last year, and this guy, this new owner, he is willing to spend some money, you know, and – D- they need a corner to go opposite Daryl Green, and 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 Dion can be a punt returner. I remember being I remember being legit excited about Dion because wherever Dion went, remember at that point he won it all. You know, Dallas, San Francisco. Um, I really think it's it re- incredible revisionist his- history to, as a Redskins fan, say, "Oh, I knew it was terrible, and I knew that." Oh, we got it. We had a terrible owner. I remember being very curious and and not thrilled about George because George was a loser you know Jeff George was just a loser attitude a loser player even though he did have I'm pretty sure the year before it was the year before because it wouldn't have been the year before that because it was um Brad Johnson who was in Minnesota before that uh, but the 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 Randall uh George uh, combination he played well there but I was God, Ben, I'm telling you, 2000, I was excited about all those free agents. Do you know, and I mentioned this recently, um, I think with Tommy, do you know that that is the last time, 2000, because I've done this, I've gone through this exercise of looking at sort of preseason predictions from every year, 2000 was the last year the Washington Redskins were one of A few Super Bowl contenders. They were near the top of the list. There hasn't been a season since where the Redskins were one of the favorites, you know, top two, three, four favorites to win the Super Bowl. I would bet they haven't been in the top, you know, eight or nine favorites to win the Super Bowl. But in 2000, there was tremendous excitement about the Redskins. They were one of the favorites to win the whole thing, and that's the last time that happened. That'll tell you a little bit about the franchise if you're coming in without any knowledge, is it's been 20 years since they had a perceived legitimate Super Bowl contending team.
1: I mean, now that you phrase like that, I mean, it sounds right, which is, you know, to your point, it just just shows how things have gone. I think also, collectively, we as an NFL consumers, both analysts and fans, have, have wisened up a bit. Those moves when they were made. Now, you know, if they were to, be, if the same things were to be done now, I don't think people would view it as favorably because you have a lot of older players uh, coming in. And the one, the, so I'm, I'm totally with you. I think mean, anybody who pretends that they were down on that collectively is, you know, come on. That's just Monday morning quarterbacking. But I will say on the Dion front. Not a fan. I mean, obviously, an amazing talent and showman and all that. But what I what I didn't like about that, and this sort of connects also with what what I was just discussing about Snyder's thinking, is that you know earlier that like they were chasing Dion to get him, but earlier that off season they let Brian Mitchell leave in free agency. Yeah. And then when Dion shows up, now Daryl Green at this point is forty years old. So let me not pretend he was like you know the, the same guy he'd been his whole career, but. It, it, Dion replaced Brian Mitchell and effectively put Daryl Green on the sideline, and in that single move, right there, plus with the other free agents, it, it eliminated on some level the idea of we give a crap about what it means to be a Redskin. that we care about the culture because those were sort of the two last vestiges of the of the Gibbs of the Gibbs era, and now it was going to be a had, whole bunch. But, of- but they
0: had been losing, remember, and '99 was the first like, okay, we're back. It it had, sure, sure. it had been six, seven years, you know, well, 92 was the last season they had been a playoff team and those were miserable years with the exception of the last year at RFK, which, you know, started off seven and one and then deteriorated. But it was nice to be, uh, I remember feeling it was nice to be back and, and, and feel like we're one of the prominent teams in the league again.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I guess my thing is that, like, even though yes, you're right that they, it wasn't like they were still crushing it from the from the from the from the Gibbs there, but it went from being we still in our heads had this idea of what it meant to be a Redskin that there were still the the smells of this team that knew how to do right things, and that off season turns it into the mercenaries are taking over the locker room and power will be dictated by money, not by not by uh, performance, not by attitude. But by who gets paid, and that I think really changed everything for the next that many years. Uh, again, until somewhat recently, when it started rebuilding through the draft, there was never any more of a sense of what it meant to be a, a part of this organization. And that's one of the overriding factors. We can talk about talent, and this trade didn't work, and that free agent didn't work. But overall, for me, the biggest difference between then and now then meaning the sort of the Gibbs one point era and now is. The is the culture aspect. Like, what does it mean to be a Redskin? And I think this is where Ron Rivera, I totally agree with his. But it, it, yes, maybe it's coach speak, but all his actions are of a guy who is trying to reestablish how to play winning football. What it means to play for each other. We always hear good things about players love wanting to play for Rivera. That that to me is the most optimistic point. And then, you know, most of their free agent moves. Yes, I know they tried to get Amari Cooper, but they didn't. And other than Kendall Fuller, they mostly just got guys for depth play, for competition, and for people who I think Rivera believes will play the way he wants to to reestablish a different type of identity and culture. And I think, like I said for a long time, that's been the problem around here. That it just there was anybody would show up, and it was no sense of what that meant. You were not held accountable to any standard because there was none.
0: Yeah. Um, I was just looking through that 2000 season. Nine of their 16 games were high-profile games. Five of them at night, and four of them in that late afternoon um, Fox. Back then, it was 4:15, not 4:25 uh, time slot. There was a lot of excitement over that particular team going into that year, and um, they were they, they were struggling early, and then they got it going a little bit late, and then. Here comes, uh, after a loss at Arizona, here comes uh, Jeff Georgian to start. And um, it didn't go well after that. And one of the famous moments from that season was a late-season game at Dallas. And um, that was uh, when um, uh, – what's-his-face was coaching? Uh, uh, Ray Rhodes would not take over as the Redskins coach. And it was – why am I blanking on who the coach was? Is Terry Rabisky? Yeah, Terry Rabisky. Or as Dion referred to him, Terry Rabinski. Um, <laughs> Terry Rabisky took over because Ray Rhodes wouldn't. Um, and Jeff George gets uh, blindsided and he's rolling around in the field and not one Redskin offensive player came to help him out. And that was pretty telling. In that moment in that 2000 season all right um took us a while to get here but i want to go through real quickly your column that you have out right now titled from haskins to healing which you've addressed a little bit 11 questions for ron rivera ahead of training camp the first question for ron rivera you think is now that you finally had a chance to watch dwayne haskins practice how will you specifically gauge his progress why do you think that did you put these questions in, uh, in a particular order or not of importance?
1: No, not, not, not any particular order of importance. I mean obviously people are interested in the quarterback, so it seems sort of obvious to go with, with to go with, with, with Haskins first. but okay. the, the
0: quarterback's a good place to start. okay, so so why would it be about you know him specifically being able to gauge his progress now that he can see him? Are you leading well, to, is he going to start?
1: <laughs> well, that's sort of a, set, that's uh, one of the, the, the next, the follow-up questions, but it's more of like, I'm trying to think, okay, what would I actually ask Rivera? And then, yeah, Hey, what do you think? What do you think Dwayne Haskins' potential is this year? Is an easy uh, answer. And it can give, it gives Rivera all kinds of outs to just give answers that don't necessarily pin him down on anything. But I want to know what are we actually talking about here? Because obviously by now in a normal year, we would have seen OTAs and mini camps and we, the media, would have an opportunity to see ourselves what Dwayne Haskins is looking like. I, I remember RG3s, uh, the year when, when Kirk Cousins became the starter, and watching RG3 and, and OTAs when there's effectively no pass rush, there's no real hitting, and he was holding onto the ball forever and a day. And just thinking to myself, this, isn't, this is over. Come on, get out of here. we are got to go with Cousins. Let's move on. So let's see what Haskins can do. People can be as optimistic as they want. I've heard some people say that. And if you're talking about it from a long-term perspective, totally fine. I understand that. But if we're just talking 2020, I have no reason why anybody could sit here and say, oh, it's going to be great or he's going to be really good based on what? We haven't seen him do anything yet other than we've seen that he's lost some weight. So that's why I want to ask Rivera, what are you actually looking for? Is it footwork? Is it that you want to see a guy commanding the huddle? Do you want to see a guy who's smiling out there in the sense of he's feeling confident and that confidence will carry over to the rest of the team what is it exactly you actually want to see other than just telling me he's got a big arm and we like where he's headed
0: and here's the answer the answer from Rivera should be let me let me tell you what I think the answer should be Uh, We want to see Dwayne master the offense and know it better than anybody in our locker room with the exception of our coaching staff, Scott Turner. We want to see Dwayne completely comfortable in running the offense and executing the offense. And we want to see Dwayne continue to take strides to become the leader that we all want our quarterback to be. Like that That's going to be somewhat... uh, The leadership thing and knowing the offense, which is a reflection of the commitment to the playbook and being an expert about this new playbook is a, is going to be a big deal for him. Um, this is, and, and by the way, I have no doubt that he'll be able to, to learn it and catch on, uh, to it and, and become an expert, but they want Dwayne to be able to tell Terry McLaurin, no, 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 Terry, it's the other side on this formation. And Terry looks at Dwayne and says, my guy knows it better than anybody here. I think that's why we're going to hear a lot of answers about leadership and a lot of understanding and mastering the offense is going to tie into leadership.
1: Sure, and, and this sort of goes to the other question that I had with regards to Haskins and mentioned a little bit earlier, and that is Rivera preached the idea of a competition throughout, but we haven't heard as much lately. And there's a reason for that. I think in part like Rivera answers the questions we ask him and nobody asks myself included nobody asked questions about the competition over the last several weeks we moved on to other topics and there were plenty to choose from so what's the deal is there still a competition and then part of the question is if we're if you know well and you and I talked about this maybe the last time I was on this podcast there's definitely downside to not starting asking the week one primarily just it would raise all kinds of questions and controversy and whatever, but in terms of winning week one, it's a decent chance that the best quarterback for week one is going to be the guy who knows the system inside and out, who Rivera can say definitively positive things about what you just said is going to be what he's looking for in Haskins. He's already got that in Kyle Allen. So I wonder, you know, what, what's the deal? Is there a competition or not? State that case. And if he says there isn't, okay, cool. Then we kind of know. But if he says there is, I'm not saying, I wouldn't even take that as definitive that there really is. But let's just hear. We haven't heard about this in a while. What's the deal with this quarterback competition, supposedly? And, you know, let's see. And I think from that we can get a sense of what he's thinking both about Haskins, both about the season, and also, you know, to some degree, uh, the other
0: quarterback. Yeah, well, your second question that you'd ask Ron Rivera uh, at training camp is: regardless of Dwayne's potential, how do you weigh the long-term future with putting this team in the best position possible against the Eagles in Week One? The the, the questions uh, go hand in hand a little bit. I think his answer to both of them will be: these two, all of our quarterbacks, all of our players at every position are competing. For uh, you know, for starter spots, we no one's earned anything. This is what tra- training camp's for. This is a new day. They're going to have to earn it. I don't see him handing something publicly to Dwayne at the beginning of training camp. Do you?
1: Probably not. And I guess my only point would be: it feels like collectively the, the we the local media have just sort of gone back now to Haskins' job and we're kind of blowing off Kyle Allen, despite the fact that the head coach. Weeks before we even knew who the other quarterback would be, I mean, we were all in a tizzy. Wow, he's saying there's going to be a real competition. Well, what could this mean? Is it Cam Newton? Is it somebody else? Marcus Mariota was the name I was considering. You know, who could it be? And now it's Kyle Allen. And because Kyle Allen is not sexy, because Kyle Allen was not a first round pick, uh, you know, we're kind of like, eh, whatever. Even though there's so many advantages in Kyle Allen's column, including, hello, he's in the offense that they're going to have to execute in 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 short order for week one and, and again it isn't just that like Dwayne Haskins is, is uh, it has to I mean he's learning the offense in the playbook sense, but now he has to do it on the field and he has to do it when the tight end position is probably the weakest on the team. That other than Terry McCorn, we don't really know what to make of the receiver spot. The left side of the offensive line, I mean what are we even talking about right now? We have no idea who's playing left tackle. The running backs there's some good interesting options, but again what's the what's the plan there? And you're gonna throw Dwayne Haskins into this He's learning his third system in three years. He's had no practical uh, work on the field to this point. That's just a lot to ask, and it doesn't mean he shouldn't be the starter. It's just to say, hey, there's a lot of reasons to think somebody else, the other guy, should be the starter, considering Kyle Allen is fluent in this offense. He's not as fluent in Terry McLaurin, per se, or Adrian Peterson the way Haskins is, but you know, if we're just objectively saying week one, forget everything else, forget controversy, forget the long term, make can make a compelling case that Tom Allen should start, and I think that's just getting overlooked a bit again, not saying he will or that he should. I'm just saying that you know i don't I don't know how we don't readdress this again because the coach himself is the one who kept talking about competition.
0: I think he should talk about competition. Um, until he's ready to name a starter, even if he, until he publicly wants to name a starter, which let's just call it before the third preseason game, or maybe it's after the preseason altogether. If there is a preseason, we're being pretty presumptuous here, but I will bet you any amount of money that, barring injury, Dwayne Haskins is the starter on opening day. I just don't see any possible upside to starting Kyle Allen regardless of how much um, you know uh, how how much more ready he would be in that moment from an understanding of the offense perspective i just don't see it i mean yeah, to I- your to your point There was that training camp where we're watching Griffin throw, you know, in shells, and he's been given the defensive plays basically before the practice to try to really help him out. And he's still holding on to the ball forever. And he comes off the field and says, "Man, you know, I had a really good practice." And little did did anybody know at the time. I think B. Mitch broke this news or Doc did that he basically was given the defensive plays prior to it. But I remember the same thing. Good God would you get rid of the ball and you could hear the coaches saying get rid of it get rid of it Robert you can't hold it and um we knew but we'd have to have almost a situation like that there where they feared for Dwayne's health and the health of others if they put him out there I don't see that happening I think they'll get him ready to play
1: yeah, and 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 I, and I don't disagree with that. My my larger point is it's even less about Haskins and more about Rivera. He's the one who made the point over and over again of a quarterback competition. So I think for me, honestly, like part of what I'm still going through is trying to understand the guy that I have to cover now. What what is he about when he says things? Does that actually is it is it just words or are these or are is there heft behind the message? And I think for the most part, there is from what I've seen so far, but if we just roll in and Dwayne Haskins is a starter before we even take a snap, then like then the, all that talk about real – I mean, yes. i I pin him – Right. You know, the thing, well, I want to know, that's all.
0: All but, right, ask me question number four. Do you have him in front of you? That's the offensive tackle question? Yeah.
1: So uh, I don't have the exact phrasing in front of me, but, but basically the question is how much patience are you going to have – in training camp before you determine whether your starting left tackle is on
0: the team or not. Love Sadiq, love Christian, love Lucas. We're good at that spot. One of these guys is going to emerge into a really good left tackle for us this year. <laughs> That's going to be the yeah, answer. I'm, I-
1: I mean, but like, you know, we just came off a year where I'm sure Jay Gruden said (laughs) something similar and Donald Penn showed up. I know, but
0: but he's not going to admit, hey, you know, they've got a week here to show us what they got or we're going to go out and find somebody. Because going out and finding somebody, they're going to want to have some leverage going out to get people. and They don't want anybody knowing that they're going to go out and get anybody. So I think that's the answer that he would provide. That's all I was just saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and it's fair. And like I said, I just, you know, it's not a matter of trying to pin these, you know, I know some people out there probably, oh, you're just a reporter trying to pin these guys down. Uh, look, I want to know, I want to know what this guy thinks. I want to try to get a sense of what he's at. You're right. He's not going to just say, well, you know, if we don't have a starter, clearly by August 10th, we'll have to figure something out. But at the same point, you know, you can get a sense of what, the, I mean, you know, I, I uh, um you know i remember when like rob kelly got you know was a guy who was a complete nobody you know and then all of a sudden he became fat rob and all of a sudden he's the starting running back the genesis of of that happening was listening to jay gruden praise this rando in ways he wasn't talking about other guys and from that you could start to glean this is somebody that this coach likes and fr- and and go from there and on the flip side last year i got some uh, some people gave me some notice for for predicting from the start of uh Training camp that Josh Dodson wouldn't make the 53. And why did I do that? In part, well, part of it was I listened to the head coach, and not praise him at all. He, clearly, he 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 effectively rolled his eyes constantly, you know, not, not literally necessarily, but like in the way he would talk about Dodson. And that's all. something I'm just sort of curious when what is what is Rivera? Does Rivera? What did he do? Does he have kicks? Does he have anything? Does he show? Maybe he's just straightforward in all his comments, and that's fine. I, whatever it is, let me see what he what this guy thinks. And this is obviously, an incredible. I mean, left tackle, again, if somebody out there has, uh, you know, can say definitively what's going to happen, you know, good for you. I'm not that smart because there's no way on guys greener that I can figure out how anybody could definitively tell me who's starting a left tackle. None of these three guys, as it stands, has a resume that suggests they're the guy.
0: I agree. So, you know,
1: so I, that's why I want to know, like, how long did that I mean? We only have this amount of time. By now they would have had a lot of practices, and maybe they would sign. i have already signed somebody else by now. We don't have that, so how long will they wait before you get, you know, the the, the blindside protector? Unless they determine that one of these guys is the guy.
0: I used to love though that what Jay used to do specifically with running backs. He used to mention. All of them with running backs in particular. Like I, he loved Mac Brown. Remember, he couldn't get enough of talking about Mac Brown. Y- you know, Fat Rob, Rob Kelly. He was talking about early on um, uh, some of those guys late in some of those seasons um, that they acquired. He would start talking about some of those guys. Can't even remember a uh, uh, Lashawn uh, 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 Daniels, a uh, Byron Marshall. He loved Byron Marshall. Um, Jay would mention every running back on the practice squad and on the roster when he was going through running backs. I always found that pretty, uh, interesting. Um, speaking of running backs, that's another question you have down here for Ron Rivera. Uh, it's the question that you wrote is while we understand the desire for competition across all positions, what's the plan at running back in terms of roles when there are six obvious names for maybe only five spots by the way did you see adrian peterson said the other day on tmz sports he wants to play another four years
1: i mean i, I that that guy the, the father time is not rushing adrian peterson out no the he isn't time does, well, he's waiting he's going to wait in the corner until mr peterson says he's ready to go um yeah i, I mean i think there's two there's two aspects here one is you know, is there a realistic world or can it, is it even conceivable that six guys make this team? Now, we don't know Bryce loves health and that could be a factor. You know, who knows if he's not ready to go, then that's a whole other story. And maybe we're talking about a pup situation. But if we're, if we are assuming that everybody will be available, you know, how does that work? Typically, you know, the previous group would only have like maybe four running backs at most, not five. And that's what we're looking at. But even beyond that, again, there may be smarter people out there than me. Are you definitely telling me 1 million percent that Adrian Peterson is the go to running back on this team? I I totally would get the logic and he would be my bet, but he is not the type of running back that you typically have in in the offense that Scott Turner is looking to run. As somebody, I think Josh Norris um, for uh, Roto World pointed out the other day that uh, whether it was a Scott or North Turner offense, the last uh, one of those, uh, a player from that system led the NFL running backs and targets the last three years, that's not Adrian Peterson, no matter what he is. And also, he's 35 years old. If this thing feels a bit like a rebuild, which it does to me this year, is that the guy you're going to say, well, we need to give Adrian Peterson all the work rather than uh, give Darius Geis, if he's healthy, the full chance to be the main guy? Because Geis could be a three-down back. But, of course, he's only played five games in two years because of the injuries. We still don't really know what to make of Antonio Gibson, no matter how much we want to study his his work at Memphis, because it was such a unique situation. He barely ran the ball, yet he's a running back. Yeah. J.D. McKissick is here. He's the new Chris Thompson. Okay, cool. But, like, how much is he on the field when you have these other three guys I just mentioned? And then there's Peyton Barber, a guy who's a very solid pro. They signed him for a reason. Not a lot of money, but they signed him for a reason. He, You know, he's arguably the safest bet of the whole group, other than maybe Peterson. He also may not even make the team. So I just think... Yeah, it's just such a fascinating group in a good way, fascinating. I mean, I think there's some hope here, there's some potential, but at the same point, you know, like from like a fantasy football perspective, if somebody said, "Who's the running back you want?" I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that right now because I don't really have a sense what their roles are. So I would be curious for the coach to. Uh, you know, he's not gonna but, you know, shed shed some light on that. What do you see happening
0: happening here? I think the last time you were on, um, we talked about this, but when you have a new coaching staff, a complete new regime you get big surprises as fans, as media members in terms of the players that make the team and the players that don't make the team. There are going to be some big surprises because we aren't super familiar with the kind of fit for the system they're looking for, the kind of person. We're in the midst of a culture change here. There's a, there's going to be a lot at work here in determining a final roster. And then you have obviously the uh, you know a very unique offseason that they've been through where they haven't even had enough time over the course of the last four or five months to really get to know these players. I'm going to hit you with one more of your 11 questions for Ron Rivera, head of training camp. Uh, as I've mentioned, I, everybody else go to the Athletic. It's a 30-day free trial period and you can read all of Ben's stuff and you can read all of the other questions that he um, would ask Ron Rivera uh, at training camp. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to go to, to, to the last one of the ones that I want to get, get you to talk about, and I think this is a really interesting one, and boy, I, I hope you ask it or somebody asks it, I'd be curious to know what his position is, or to, to at least watch him handle the question. It's not football-related, but you would ask him, what is your stance on the team name? Why would you ask it of him, and what do you think his answer would be?
1: Well, similar to the earlier topic we discussed, and even more so about what we talk about politics to some degree entering the locker room I mean look obviously the, the Redskins team name is not a new topic but it has gained new momentum for those who want to uh, who, who want to get rid of it because of the, the way people are connecting into the conversation we're having nationally about racial injustice and 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 racism and things along those lines and what that redskins name kind of connotates to to people in this country to some people at least in this country and you uh, you know, I think, arguably, we dropped the ball, meaning the local media, when we didn't ask him previously. It had, He spoke on June, on June 10th. Uh, George Floyd passed, I think, was murdered May 25th, somewhere in there. So it, had, it had already had come up now, but we didn't ask it. So I can make, I wrote, we can make a little bit of excuses. We're doing it over Zoom. We're not doing it in face-to-face. It makes it a little bit more awkward. And this is really a question for Dan Snyder, not so much the guy who's been here for 10 minutes. But... You know, since then, Mayor Bowser has come out, and, you know, she had softened her stance a couple of years ago on this topic, but now she's back saying they should probably change the name. Uh, You had the Washington Post uh, editorial board with an op-ed saying they need to change the name. And if Rivera is, you know, if this coach-centered situation, if he's the one who's going to go out there, if Dan Snyder is not going to address it publicly on a statement or anything, or even if he does, whoever's standing in front of that mic next is going to get the question it's impossible to avoid. And again, this is not a matter of what one thinks or doesn't think about this topic. Yet it has to be asked. And look, why, they haven't, they must be one of the only teams of the main four professional sports that did not put out any type of statement, official statement, I believe about, um, about their reaction to, to the George Floyd situation about police brutality, about all these topics in part, because when they attempted to make a social media point, it got, Taken over by people saying, "Well, here's a way to help the issue. Why don't you right. just change your name?" So if they haven't done that. I mean, when Rivera spoke to us, he did make a statement about George Floyd and police brutality and all that, and it was a poignant statement. And he said it, um, you know, I believe with a lot of sincerity, but it sort of underlined the point of why are you doing this? But look, if he's the guy that is presented as the guy who's uh, the face of this organization day to day, when Dan Snyder won't talk there is no team president, there is no general manager right now, then he's going to have to get the question. And there's no doubt it's coming this time, I, whether it's me or 10 other people, somebody is asking this question, uh, next time.
0: Yeah. Uh, he'll probably, um, he'll probably point you back in the direction of Mr. Snyder. That's probably yeah. what he'll do. Uh, thank you, Ben, for doing this. I always enjoy this. It's a great conversation. And, uh, People should go uh, subscribe to the Athletic. You can do so right now for free. Follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standing. But Ben writes really pro- prolifically about the Redskins. He writes as much as anybody, if not more than anybody. Um, there is always a new story that's Redskins related, and this is the off season, so imagine what uh, he'll be writing about and following and and news breaking um, when we get back to hopefully an NFL season. Thanks so much. Have a have a good weekend. I'll talk to you soon.
1: I really appreciate
0: a man here. Really appreciate Ben standing. Love catching up with Ben. He does such a great job covering the Redskins on the athletic. All of the other local reporters do a great job as well. It's a no-brainer. Thirty-day free trial. I promise you will thank me. Don't forget, I am on radio 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Team 980 here in D.C. That's 980 a.m., 95.9 FM. If you're outside the market and you want to listen, the Team980.com or the Team 980 app, or you can listen on Alexa. Same thing you can do with this podcast uh, as well. Uh, Have a great, safe weekend. We'll talk next week.